Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. Well, if you're with us last week, then you know throughout this Christmas season, we have been studying some holy moments uh, leading up to that very first Christmas. And we talked last week about how our life is not really measured by time as much as our life is really measured in moments. Uh, likely, for those of you here in the room, looks like you've experienced a couple Christmases uh, throughout your lifetime. And uh, of all the Christmases you've ever experienced, you probably don't remember all of those Christmases. You probably don't remember all of those, those moments, but there's probably some moments uh, in Christmas that, that stand out. Maybe that moment you, re- you opened your Red Rider BB gun. Maybe the moment you opened like your favorite Christmas present of all time. Maybe a, a sad moment. Maybe a, a moment where you experienced a first Christmas without uh, a dear loved one uh, in the house. But, but lot Life is not necessarily measured by time as much as life is measured by moments. And last week we looked at the life of Joseph and we, we deducted from Joseph's life that, that you have no idea what God can do through one moment of obedience. And today we're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus and the necessity of surrender. Surrender is not a real popular topic, but if I were to ask you, hey, in this Christmas season, uh, what is it in your life that you need to surrender to God, that you need to hand over to God. It could be a relationship that you keep hoping will work out, but you know it's not God's best. And, and maybe this Christmas you need to surrender that to God. Maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe it's your future after you, you graduate. What, what's next for me? Maybe you need to surrender that to God. Maybe it's a wayward child and things aren't going the way you envisioned, but you need to surrender them to God once again. Maybe it's this idea of generosity. Whatever it is, surrender normally is placed in like negative connotations. We think of surrender as like waving a white flag, uh, uh, holding up our hands, don't shoot, I surrender, uh, tapping out, like don't hurt me anymore, I'm, I give up. But surrender is not weakness. It takes strength to surrender your will to the will of, of God. Someone said that surrender isn't giving up, it's letting go. Surrender is not giving up. It's letting go. Whenever you surrender your life to God, it's not that you give up on your life. It's that you give your life over to God and entrust his sovereign plan with your life. Whenever we surrender our finances, it just simply means that we're no longer stewarding our finances the way we used to manage them. Now we're going to manage our finances according to God's, God's plan. Surrendering our kids, our spouse, our friends, our family does not mean we give up on them. It means we entrust them to God's care. Surrender moment by moment, isn't giving up, it's letting go, it's trusting God, the ultimate authority who is good and who does good. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, here's our big idea for the day. Here's the big idea. Surrender is not a moment in time. It's moments all the time. Surrender is not just a moment in time, but it's moments all the time. I want to look at that first Christmas. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And if you would, if, you, if you're able, would you stand to your feet with me in honor of God's word as we read our passage for today? It begins in, in verse 26. We're going to get to some red letter words on the screen whenever we hit those red letter words. If you could, really loud, really proud, uh, read those out loud with me. Here's what it says. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man by the name of Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was? Mary. Mary, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. 
Mary has favor from God. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will be with child and you will have a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm, I'm a virgin, I know how babies are made and I, I'm a virgin. So what's up? Verse 35, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born is going to be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is now in her sixth month. For is God. And what a reminder for us in this Christmas season that nothing is impossible with God. And here's Mary's moment of surrender in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said said. What a holy moment. Father, we thank you uh, for holy moments in the life that we see lived out in Mary. We thank you, God, for holy moments that you present in our lives, God. And I pray, like Mary, God, you give us the courage to surrender areas of our life that we need to entrust back to you, areas where we've been trying to control outcomes or, or navigate circumstances or manipulate cir circumstances. God, may, may today we come to this place of surrender and trust afresh in you. And may we find the peace that only comes when we let go and trust you in those areas of our life. I pray it over your church today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give someone a high five and say Merry Christmas. Then you can have a seat. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I just want to lift off two words uh, from that text today. Two words. The first word we're going to look at is Mary. Mary, for taking notes, that's the next fill in the blank, Mary. As we discussed last week, we often think of Mary having a child as being a grown woman, but historians tell us that Mary is, is a teenage girl at this time. She's likely 14 to 15 years old. Uh, some scholars place her as young as 12 or 13 years old. I mean, she's like an eighth grader or a freshman at, at best. I mean, she's not even old enough to drive. We know she's a young girl and she's from a town called Nazareth. And, and we don't know a, a whole lot about Nazareth, but, but Nazareth, it's not like this metropolitan area. Nazareth, it, it consists of 10 to 30 acres. Uh, just to frame up how small this town of Nazareth was, if anybody 49ers fans in the house, Okay, we got five of them uh, for all the, <laughs> all the five 49ers fans. If you've been to Levi Stadium, uh, according to ChatGBT, Levi Stadium sits on 30 acres of land. And so basically the town of Nazareth could be housed within that footprint of Levi Stadium. However, as the 49ers take on the Seahawks today uh, and get a victory, um, uh, for the five of you that care, um, <laughs> it, the population of Nazareth is very different than Levi Stadium. The population of Nazareth at this time, scholars say, is about 100 to 300 people. So a 30, uh, at most, 30 acres, at most, 300 people living in this very small town, and this teenage girl gets this message from heaven that she's going to have... A baby. 
I mean, Nazareth is not prestigious. In fact, when Jesus kicks off his ministry, uh, the, 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 uh, this guy by the name of, of Philip goes to his buddy Nathaniel. He's like, hey, the Messiah is here. Like, like it's Jesus. And look at it in John 145. He says, we found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and whom, whom the prophets have wrote about. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And look at his response. Nazareth, like can anything good come from there? Like, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, this sleepy, no-name town, an angel appears to a teenage girl. There's no, there's not prestigious. It's just a dot on the mat. At best, it has like one stop sign. And that's where God chooses to send the world's greatest gift at Christmas time. And I say that to say this, perhaps some of you at times feel like Nazareth, easily overlooked, feel like I don't have a whole lot to offer. I thought my life would be different at this stage of my life. I, I, I thought, I mean, from the outside looking in, I, there's not a lot happening here. And I just want you to know, you might just be the perfect person God would choose to do his greatest miracle. Because he did it the first Christmas. Here's what Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. I mean, not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. And therefore, as it is written, that anyone who boasts, boast in the Lord. I mean, God is, he prides himself on taking small, insignificant things and using them to do big, amazing things that display his radical grace and bring him glory. God specializes in taking the lowly, the humble, the overlooked, the outcast, and he sets his favor on them and makes them great. We might not know a whole lot about Mary's life up until this point, but we do know that she has found favor Favor with God. That's the second word I want to talk about, favor. Luke one twenty eight says this, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Not just a little bit favored, but she's highly favored. Uh, Luke one thirty, uh, angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor. You found favor with God. The Bible talks about favor 126 Times The first times favor is mentioned is in this, 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 this story of this guy by the name of Noah. And God appears to Noah and says, hey, Noah, you found favor with God. And what happens to Noah? God spares Noah's life and his family's life from certain disasters. So whatever favor it is, it doesn't just impact you. It impacts your family. It impacts those around you. Jesus himself grew in favor. We read about it in the next chapter. Luke 2, 40 says this, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Luke 2, 52 says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So what an interesting passage. Jesus, the son of God, grows in favor with God. In his humanity, he experiences same things you and I experience. And just as Jesus grew in wisdom and a stature and in favor with God and man, you and I can grow in favor with God too. 
There's a whole lot we could talk about here. This could be a whole sermon series on how do we grow in favor with God. I just want to give you two thoughts on how you can grow in favor with God this Christmas season. Here's the first thing you can do. Put God first. If you want to grow in favor, put God first. In other words, when you wake up tomorrow morning, put God first. Allow the first thoughts of your mind drift towards God and just say, God, thanks for a new day. God, thanks. I'm grateful today that your mercy is fresh and new every morning. God, I thank you for who you are. Thanks for being in control. Thanks, God, while I was sleeping, you were working. God, I I thank you. I'm going to allow the first things that I read to be your word. I'm going to put you first today in my day. I'm going to put you first Put God first in your week. And you're doing that today, by the way. Uh, by show, this is the first day of the week. You're putting God first. You're in church. Uh, that's a big deal. You're, it's a sign, not just that you want to see an amazing kids production here, but, but that you want to put God first in your life. And here's the ramifications of that. Studies show that putting God first in your week and getting to church is really a big deal. Uh, Harvard studies show that those who attend church regularly, their mortality rate dropped 30%. They have a 30% chance of living longer. Another study by Vanderbilt University found that attending worship services regularly reduces stress and the risk of mortality. They put it at 55%, especially for those between the age of 40 and 65. Come on, somebody. That's good news. (laughs) I'm just saying, if doctors could put that in a pill, they'd be prescribing it to everyone and all of us would take it, right? Well, it, it's, it's available to you. It's just this thing we call attending church. Another Harvard study showed that church attendance promotes self-discipline, a sense of meaning and purpose in life. And who doesn't want that? A research done by Parenting with Focus discovered that kids who attend church regularly are happier, healthier, and better adjusted. Plus, church is a great place for kids to learn morals and virtues, they say. So in other words, if you want to live longer, you want less stress in your life, you want your kids to be happier, healthier, better adjusted citizens, if we want to live longer, if we want to do all those things, it's, it's yours. You just got to put God first in your week and make attending worship gatherings like this a priority in your life. And here's the good news. God's not a respecter of persons. He desires to place his favor on everyone. But whether he will or whether he won't depends on how we structure our life and how we position our life before him. If you want, you want God's favor in your finances, then trust him with your finances. If you want God, God, God's favor on anything, put him, put him first. In the new year, we'll be doing something that's become a rhythm here at Central where we, we kick off our year with 21 days of prayer and, and fasting. And so you can mark your calendar January 7th through January 27th. We're going to start with just 21 days of prayer and fasting, just our way of saying, God, in this new year, we want to put you first. And so I would encourage us to begin thinking about where do you need breakthrough in your life in 2024? Where do you need God's help in your life? What, what, it may be a family situation, maybe a work situation, maybe finances, maybe in your mental health, maybe your emotional health, your physical health. Where is it where you need God's help? And just make plans now to join us for 21 days of prayer and fasting and watch how God moves in your life. Put him, put him first. So if you want favor, God's favor on your life, put God first. Second thing, Obey what he asks us to do. Simply obey what he asks us to do. James 4.17 says this, remember it's sin to know what we ought to do and not do it. Now, let me just say this slowly because I think obedience gets a bad rap. Obedience is not an obstacle on the path to happiness. It is the path. Obedience is not an obstacle 
on the path to the life you've always wanted. Obedience is the path. That's my story. I thought, man, I thought this was a buzzkill. I thought people like you who would attend church service, like, wow, how narrow-minded of you. And, and I thought, man, if I do what I want, when I want, how I want, then that would lead to the good life. And I thought, man, how, how narrow of a life the Christian life must be. And, and so I did whatever I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. And I'll tell you what it led to. It led to my bondage. It led to, to captivity. But whenever I said, hey, God, here's my life. Whatever you want from me, I'm in, I'm on. Like, like I, I want to obey whatever you say. So I just took God's word at, at his word and just started trying to apply it to the best of my ability in my life. And here's what I found. What I thought would lead to my captivity actually led to my freedom. And what I thought would lead to my freedom actually led to my captivity. And so obedience is not an obstacle on the pathway to the good life. It is the good life. I love this quote by St. Ignatius of Loyola. He says this, he says, sin, and this is my, probably my favorite definition of sin. Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Look at Adam and Eve. Sin corrupted humanity. Why? Because Adam and Eve were unwilling to trust that what God wanted for them was only for their good. God said, hey, you can eat from any tree, just not that tree. And they say, well, man, God, I think you're withholding something from me. And so they were unwilling to trust that what God had for them was their best interest in mind. They disobeyed. And now sin, corruption, death enters our humanity and the world's been jacked ever since. When we don't trust that what God knows best for our kids, we parent according to pop culture and not according to God's word. When we don't trust that God knows best for my sexuality, we indulge in all kinds of things that are far less than God's best. When we don't trust that God knows what's best for the rhythms of our life, then we never pause, we never take a Sabbath, we never, we never enjoy silence and solitude. And as a result, we just jump on the treadmill like everyone else and then wonder why we're worn out and exhausted all the time. But when we do what God asks us to do, we thrive because we're no longer a fractured person. We no longer have to hide different fragmented pieces of our life. I now have courage and confidence and boldness knowing God is with me. Or in a word, we experience God's favor. So back to Mary. Mary responds to the angel and lets us know that, that Mary was a woman who put God God first. We understand Mary's a virgin, so she put God first in her sexuality. Uh, she receives some, some very disturbing news from God. This, this news would have turned her world upside down. Uh, it would have destroyed her life to be found pregnant outside of marriage. It would have destroyed her, her fiance's life. It would have destroyed her family's life. It would have turned her world upside down. But how does Mary respond? In Luke 1.38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. And she surrenders. She realizes that there is a God and it is not Mary. She submits to authority greater than herself, even when God is asking her to do some things that everyone she loves would never understand. Mary's life reminds us today that surrender is not just a moment in time, but it's moments all the time. 
Before, after Jesus was born, uh, he's eight days old. They'd bring Jesus to the temple uh, for his, his dedication. And she gets this prophetic message in Luke 2, 34, from a guy named Simeon. It says, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the, the falling and rising of many in Israel. And it it's to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul Two, a moment for Mary to remember that surrender was not just a one-time event. Surrender is not just a moment in time, but it's moments all the time. When Jesus was 12 years old, they go on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and Mary and Joseph are there. They're celebrating this, this feast. The days go by, and they're like, all right, time to go back uh, to Nazareth. And so they head back home from Jerusalem, and they travel for three days, three days with their, their family, a big company. They assumed the kids were in the back. They assumed Jesus was there too, only to realize they forgot Jesus. Like they, three days, parents, like feel better about yourself. Maybe you forgot the kid at a store, but you didn't leave him for three days. Uh, three days, they realize now he's missing. And so they have to travel three days back. So probably at least a week, Jesus is missing from his mom and dad. Think about that. And then Mary, like she's young at this time, maybe 24 or something like that, 25 years old, young mom, uh, lost, <laughs> lost the son of God. Like that's funny to me. And she finds him and Mary like probably wants to hug him and beat him at the same time. Like, Jesus, where have you been? And Jesus is like, mom, Mary, like, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And in that moment, Mary probably remembered that surrender is not just a moment in time, but it's moments all the time. As Jesus kicks off his ministry and he's about 34 years old and he, he's like driving out demons, he's healing the sick, the dead are being raised and Jesus has the audacity to claim that he's the son of God. And Mary gets her, her other kids and they go to try to take hold of Jesus. They say, Jesus, like stop telling people this, you're making the family look bad, like come home. And Jesus is like, no, I gotta be about my father's business. And Mary remembers in that moment that surrender is not just a moment in time, but for her it would be moments all the time. And as Mary saw Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloth that first Christmas, the miracle of God held in her hands, she saw him become a man, a man unlike anybody had ever known or heard of or seen or witnessed before. Mary witnessed it with her own eyes. It's her son. And she saw her son betrayed. She saw her son beaten so badly that only a mom would be able to recognize him. She saw her son nailed to a Roman cross and, and executed a brutal, brutal death. And as G Jesus is hanging on the cross before his, his mom, I mean, imagine the heartache of that. Most of us can only imagine. Some of you have experienced a little bit of that. But, but in that moment, as she sees Jesus breathe his last Mary's reminded that surrender isn't just a moment in time, but it would be moments all the time. And what about you in this Christmas season? What is it that God's asking you to surrender? What is it that God's asking you to bring to him one more time? And if you're like me, it's probably an area of your life where you're like, I've already surrendered that to him. And if you're like me, I surrender it. But then I just try to control it again. I pick it back up and I want to say, not on my watch. And I want to try to 
navigate things the way I think they should go. And in this season, I think God's just asking you and me just to come back to God with that person, with that situation, with that scenario. Say, God, once again, I surrender to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm not giving up, but I am letting go. And I realize, God, that surrender is not just for one moment in time, but God, you're inviting us to surrender in moments all the time. And as we do, you're going to find that life becomes a little bit lighter as you entrust the heavy weight that you and I carry into his sovereign hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.